CNN. Radio. This is CNN Profiles, where we get to know people who have the life, experience, and wisdom to help us change our perspective on the world. Here with me now, in person, sitting at five foot five, I would say, but he's not standing, is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Welcome, Kareem. Oh, nice to be here. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for me. I wanted to give you the right introduction, and I know you've probably done hundreds of interviews where people say, here's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who has scored more points than anybody else in basketball history. How often do you hear that? A lot. I hear it often. Okay. Then I decided here's the way I want to introduce you without words. You tell me if this is a good introduction for you. Can't beat John Coltrane. Can't beat him. Can't beat John Coltrane. Do you know what song? Giant Steps. Giant Steps. Is that a good theme song for you? Story of my life. (laughs) Is it really? More or less, you know. uh, I've always admired uh, jazz music and uh, enjoyed it. And uh, John Coltrane was one of my favorite performers ever. And uh, the whole idea of him talking about Giant Steps, it it really, um, I got a chance to know uh, some of the musicians that worked with him. He said, Actually, it had to do with the musical pro- progression uh, through the chord changes. They, they were big steps through the chord changes on that song. So he called it Giant Steps, but I, I've always identified with it. Was your, has your life journey been one of giant steps or small steps or a combination? Uh, a combination. But the fact that uh, in, my, in my household, my, my dad was a big music fan. He was a jazz musician. So um, jazz musicians were heroes in my household. And uh, John Coltrane was somebody I admired. And jazz musicians are, of course, and the jazz musicians of the time you were growing up, which was, give us the years again. I grew up, I was born in 1947, so I was born right in the, in the heat of the bebop era, which is uh, one of my favorite uh, periods of, uh, of jazz music. And it's interesting because then we went from bebop to people like Coltrane. And, and, and this brings us into really your future work. I don't want to get into it too quickly, but your post-basketball work has been about invention and teaching science, correct? I mean, yes. This is a big mission of yours. And a lot of teaching science, you know, I, I'm looking at your book. You wrote a book a number of years ago, What Color Is My World? The Lost History of African-American Inventors. And in it, you have stories that most of us have never heard of. And one thing I learned from your book is it's almost like there's no such thing as inventors. There are innovators. Yes, they are. Um, I think I described it hopefully correctly how uh, in a bucket brigade, the guy that pours the water on the fire, he didn't bring the water there. It, it was passed along a, a long line of people who uh, made it possible for him to, to pour that water on the fire. And for every inventor, he's really improved on things that uh, have come before him, him or her. And uh, that's uh, how inventions uh, come into, into existence. And so the sky hook was, if I understand it correctly, not your invention, but clearly you improved on it. Where did you come up with the sky hook? Uh, I came up with the sky hook. Basically, it was my take on George Mikan's drill. George Mikan was a very accomplished basketball player. He played at DeBall University, and then he played with the Minneapolis Lakers while they were in Minneapolis, and they were champions, and they won five uh, NBA championships. And there was a drill that he did that was shown to me when I was in the fifth grade. The drill involves uh, using both hands to shoot the uh, hook shot off the glass. You stand right in front of the basket, and you, you work on your shooting touch and, and the footwork that you use to shoot a hook shot. So uh, for me, I always thought that uh, I was just uh, shooting a hook shot. 
but I added my own uh, athletic twist to it, and uh, that ended up being the, the skyhook. And I've watched so many highlight reels, as many of us have, and for those of you too young in the audience to have grown up with it, you've got to watch it. And it seemed like an unstoppable shot, but clearly you missed a lot of skyhooks. What was the key to the skyhook? Because on the one hand, you know, we all watch that little wrist flick at the top of the skyhook, but my sense is that's not the secret of it. What is the secret that made it so successful? The secret for me, as I look at it, was the fact that I'd worked on it so long that inside of 10 feet, I, I could make it from anywhere inside of 10 feet and with either hand. And that was uh, enabled me to really keep the defense off balance. They never knew which way I was going, so I was always able to get it off. I made more than I missed. So <laughs> that's uh, an accomplishment in basketball where you have uh, many of the top scorers only shoot in the 40 percentile range. I shot 56 percent for my lifetime career. There's a Malcolm Gladwell wrote a, a, a book that, that got a lot of buzz, and he talked about how 10,000 hours of practice at something is what makes you an expert. And you said you put a lot of hard work on that. I assume when you started the Skyhook, you didn't make more than you missed. How much time did you put in starting in fifth grade when you first discovered that shot? I, I, I put my hours in. I don't know if they were exactly 10,000, <laughs> but I put my hours in. But when you practicing a shot that close to the basket, you can make all of them. On the drill that I would do, I... If I didn't make all of the shots, I kept it up until I made a certain number. How much improvisation was there? Because obviously you had a whole team around you, and a lot of the defense knew what to expect. Although, as you said, they didn't know if you were going to the right or the left, but they knew the sky hook was there. So how much improvisation did you have to do whenever you got the ball? I didn't have to do a lot because basketball is a pretty simple game. Once you get somebody out of position, you can do your thing. So my whole th approach to playing my position was after I got the basketball to start a fake or, you know, fake a pass or something so that the defense had to move somewhere. And I would adjust to whatever the defense did. And for the young players out there who are trying to develop their own game, after watching your highlight reels, sometimes it was a long time before you put that ball on the ground. Sometimes you never put it on the ground. How did you assess that? Because I was always taught as a kid growing up, you got three options. You can put it on the ground, you can pass it, you can shoot it. And watching you a lot, I really never knew what you were going to do. That was uh, one of the uh, foundations of my success, to keep everybody guessing, because they didn't know if I was going to pass it. If they didn't pay attention to their defensive assignment, I would always try to hit the open man. That's one of the fundamentals of basketball, hit the open man, see what that creates, play off of that. You played for, for so so many years with Magic Johnson, and that brings me back to the jazz theme again, because if there was ever an improviser, it seemed to be Magic Johnson. Is that right? Oh, yeah. He created things. He made things happen just w w with his gift, which was at six foot nine playing point guard, he could get by the other point guards who were a lot shorter than him and supposedly quicker, but he could always uh, get by them and create a mismatch uh, or him going solo to the basket making uh, the other defenders collapse. And then he would pick out people to share the ball with. And when they were open, they got the open shot. And did that feel like you were almost like a, in a jazz quintet when he was there? Or was it uh, you knew what was coming, it's just the defense didn't know? It was definitely like a jazz quintet. The, you have to move the ball around. Uh, the whole idea of reacting to something that your teammate does in time is part of a jazz 
uh, experience, and it's also part of the game of basketball. When, when there's a really good team, they can read each other, and when somebody does something that creates opportunities for other people, everybody reacts in, in, in the right way. Did anybody on defense ever guess right more than not? Did anybody ever really get you down? No. no nobody ever really was able to stifle my uh, offensive output. I had bad games at times, but uh, usually it was my fault and uh, not so much the defense's fault. So we talked about giant steps and small steps. So from your childhood till now, has it just been all smooth sailing? Oh, no, it's never never smooth sailing, but um, it was was a lot of fun, and um, it was a lot of challenges, and uh, I always enjoyed the challenges. I think that is one of the things that enabled me to play so long. How did you get to enjoy challenges? You know, some people who do uh, research on child psychology notice that there are certain children who really enjoy the challenge. They're not threatened by it. And other children are threatened by the challenge. And they will not take challenges for fear of failing. Sounds to me like you never really had a fear of failure. Is that wrong? I don't think I ever did. I always thought that uh, I could get the job done, and it was fun. Basketball was fun for me. Was that because of, did your parents do something to instill that, or you, just, you were just born with it? Geez, I don't know. I think my, my parents always encouraged me. Um, reading music and getting the fastball over the plate were challenges that uh, really intimidated me, but basketball never uh, had that for me. So, so you tried to read music. Did you, what, what did you study? Piano. For how long? Just a couple of months. I had a great ear and everything. My dad went to Juilliard. So we had a piano in our home. But uh, reading music was like a real challenge for me because they didn't explain to me that it's not like reading a page, a written page. I thought I was supposed to be able to read it like that and just play anything uh, when you sit down. No one could do that. Given your father's love of jazz music and the fact that he went to Juilliard, did he teach music? No, he didn't. He Well, yeah, a- a- actually he did. Um, he ta- My dad played the trombone, and, and there were certain people that would come to him for, for instruction. But given his love of music, and here's his son who after two months decides, I've had it. Were there repercussions for you? No, no. And um, my mom enrolled me in Little League. I was the happiest kid in Manhattan at that point. <laughs> so you played baseball. I loved baseball. Baseball was my first love. I, I, I wanted to play baseball. I was no good at and didn't hadn't attempted to, to play basketball by the time that I first started to play basketball. But I was so tall, and I seemed to be coordinated. They uh, told me, everybody encouraged me to play. So how long did you play baseball for, and what, what position did you love? Uh, I pitched. I played first base and the outfield. Did you have good control as a pitcher? No. That, that was the thing, but I could throw it really hard. So um, a lot of the people that I played for, the coaches and managers, they, they wanted me to, to pitch because uh, my fastball was that. It was pretty fast. But I just uh, – control was an issue. But everything on the basketball court just came very easily. So I, I stuck with that, especially when it's time to go to high school. I got a scholarship to go to high school, and uh, that's when I stopped playing baseball. Well, so, so baseball was your first love, and then when did you make that transition and say, okay, I'm just devoting myself all time, all the way to basketball? When I got into high school, um, ninth grade. I, I started high school in ninth grade, and the basketball coach in my high school was also the baseball coach. He told me I could come out, and um, especially if I wanted to pitch. But I decided, no, I, I didn't need any of that. And uh, I just stuck with basketball. 
Michael Jordan should have consulted with you when, before he went <laughs> over to the baseball field. I, I, but, you know, I think it was fun for Michael. You know, he wanted a challenge that uh, not everybody was uh, breathing down his neck about. So you played until, uh, until you were 42 years old, was it? Yes. And then you left. When did you get this, this sense that I've got a second life and here's what it is? When did that come to you? It came to me, um, I would say, t- two or three years into retirement. I did a book on my last year of professional basketball, and I published that. And I kept thinking, you know, I, I want to write things that have nothing to do with sports. And I was a, also a history major at UCLA. I was a history and English major. I had a double major. And um, I really wanted to write a history book. So finally, um, I wrote a, a, a history book. It was published in... 1996. It's called uh, Black Profiles and Courage. And it got really good reviews. And it was very satisfying for me to put those words down on the page. And uh, I've, I've been doing that ever since. And so again, this, I'm seeing this serene guy because it's like you left your life basketball. And it sounds like the, the transition wasn't hard. You know, you just sort of fell into this writing this book because you did have that history background. Yeah. And then it was again, smooth sailing after that. I'm trying to figure out if you've had any huge hurdles that you've ever overcome or if you've just been so blessed. Uh, I've certainly been blessed, but I, I think for me, the challenge was figuring out that I needed to write. You know, I, I got bored, and um, after you, you get over all the burnout that you have from a professional sports career, most people find something to do that uh, fulfills them. And uh, for me, it was writing. And so I brought in one of your books because I have three young children and uh, I bought one copy for each of them. What Color Is My World? The Lost History of African-American Inventors by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and co-author Raymond Opsfeld. You have a couple of illustrators and it's a beautiful book. It's called What Color Is My World? And actually, if you don't mind reading that, I, I just put a little yellow sticket on the first page because it's a really interesting. It, it's before you teach us about the specific inventors your whole device here, there's a mother and her two children, and they're moving into a new house. And it's a pretty old, rickety house, and it needs a lot of help. And so if you can just read those first few paragraphs for us, that sets the scene for this tale. Okay. You've got to use your imagination, Mama encouraged us. That's what adults always say when something looks really awful, but they want you to say something nice anyway. Mama smiled weakly and waited for us to say something nice, and waited. More waiting. Finally, my twin sister Ella shook her head. My imagination must be on low batteries because all I can see is some creepy old house out of some horror movie. Thank you, Ella, Mama frowned. Then she turned to me. What do you think, Herbie? It's great, Mama. Very roomy. All right, so Herbie. I mean, are you Herbie? The glass is half full. Uh, no, but uh, the, my co-author, uh, Raymond Offsell, he has a son and a daughter, and they have those kind of conflicts. And he kind of used that because he was very familiar with it. He lives with it every day of his life. <laughs> so it, it was very um, easy for him to uh, use that as a device in, in, in writing the book. And, and the specific examples you give of various uh, African-American inventors uh, who most people, including myself, will not have heard of. I, I leave that to people. We'll have a link to the book on the website. But, but I encourage everybody, especially people with children, uh, to pick that up. And I, I guess now... You know, you're still looking ahead. You're still an author. What are your goals? And, and I guess here's really the question. In basketball, it sounds like 
you could really almost single-handedly determine your success with enough practice. Now you've got this broader educational mission and define that mission for us and how much of it is in your control and how much of it isn't. Well, my mission now is to encourage young people, especially young minority kids, that their education is the most important thing in their life. Any of them that are pursuing careers in entertainment or sports, that, that's great. But your, your education is something that will sustain you for the rest of your life. I, I would not be who I am now if I had not gotten my education at UCLA and prepared myself to, to be a writer and a historian. Uh, I wouldn't be able to support myself right now. But it sounds like you had a leg up with your father. And what, what did your mother do? Was she a homemaker? M my mother was a seamstress. Yeah. Seamstress. Yeah. So, and, but it sounds like, um, I don't know, what was, what was her education level? Did she go to college? She only uh, got out of grade school because she went to, uh, she grew up in the segregated South in North Carolina and um, she couldn't go to high school. And where did your father go to school? My father went to school in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. And how did they, how did they meet? My parents met at the Savoy Ballroom, 1942 or 1943. Savoy Ballroom. Were they, and I, I've heard that your favorite, uh, well, here, I'm going to go to my uh, playlist again, because I, I just made a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar playlist. I would like you, before you leave or after you leave, do you have a playlist on your device? Yes, I do, but I, I don't know how to get it from the uh, stock over to, uh, to my device yet. Uh, somebody's going to show me that when I get if, back to L.A. If somebody shows you that, can you share your playlist with the public? Sure. Okay, I would love to. I would love to know. And by the way, did you used to use a playlist to get pumped up for your games, or was it not about music before your games? It wasn't a playlist, but I listened to a lot of music before I played. Uh, m music has inspired me my whole life. So, who, who got you pumped up before the games? Sonny Rollins. Okay, so Sarah Vaughn, I know you're a huge fan of, but Sarah Vaughn to me wouldn't get me pumped up before a game. No, no, Sarah Vaughn is uh, about romance. So, are you yeah. are you a romantic? At heart, yes, of course. <laughs> How do you define a romantic? Uh, somebody who believes in uh, the goodness of everything and uh, looks for it all the time. Have you transmitted? You're, you're a father of how many children? Five. And I understand now you're, uh, just, to, just to raise an issue that you're here in Atlanta for, you, you have a health issue, and if you could just describe that uh, to our audience, and, and, and how is your health? I'm living with leukemia. My health is fine, but I'm living with leukemia. I have to take medication every day. The medication I take is to Cigna. And I, I take that and I get my blood checked and I consult with my hematologist and to make sure that uh, the goals that we're trying to reach are, are being reached. And in, in doing that, I'm able to more or less uh, live my life, my lifestyle in the same way that I did uh, before I was diagnosed. And again, you seem totally combat. I did hear that. So uh, bringing up your children, one of your children is a doctor, correct? Yes. My middle son, Amir, he's a doctor. What, he's, what kind of a doctor is he? He's an orthopedic surgeon. What kind of father would you say you were? When I got the opportunity, I was a doting father. A lot of times, uh, you know, because I was divorced, I didn't have my children all the time, but I was totally concerned with and supportive of their education and what happened in their lives. Did they, did they all go on to uh, pursue higher education? All of them except one. My, my youngest son hasn't, but uh, my four oldest children all have college degrees and uh, my son Amir is, is a doctor. What did you do specifically to encourage that, or did you just set an example? I tried to set an example, and I encouraged them all to read, uh, to love learning. If you get to them early and uh, give them an opportunity to learn on their own and see things 
from the vantage point of, of a curious child, uh, that curious child uh, is within me, and it, it, it'll stay within me my whole life, and uh, that's what I try to do for my kids. So before we end, what are you most curious about these days? What am I most curious about? Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of the ongoing investigation of the Mayan culture in, uh, in southeastern Mexico and Belize and Guatemala. They keep finding more Mayan ruins, and um, it's fascinating, and it, it's something that, that's ongoing. So it's uh, new knowledge. Uh, it, it's really uh, a very fascinating thing. I'm told the Mayans were the first people to invent a rubberized kind of ball, and I saw a demonstration of the game they invented with it. It's almost like soccer, except you have to hit the ball with your hip. Your hips are shoulders or elbows, and you have to get it through a circle. It, it was really basketball. It's how, called uh, Olomalitli. How would, how would you have liked to have played that? Uh, I would not have liked to play that because the captain of the team that lost lost his head. They cut his head off if you lost the game. Um, try and get college kids to do that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm glad you wound up in professional basketball. I want to get one final question and, and a sense of values. Um, so you, you become very accomplished, really, in the education field, and obviously we know about your accomplishments in basketball. So I have two things to show you, and I want you to choose one. I've got a basketball here. Okay. And I've got that book over. Th I've got that book over there. If it was a choice between putting one of those two in the trophy case that people would come by and look at, which one would be in front of the other? The book would be first, absolutely. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, author and historian, and basketball player, and lover of John Coltrane and Giant Steps. Thank you for taking a step into this uh, into CNN Radio for CNN Profiles. My pleasure. It was great talking with you. Same here. By the way, you can find CNN Profiles on our website, cnn.com soundwaves, or download us from iTunes, or go to SoundCloud. And please, if you like what you hear, don't be shy. Share.